You may think you know the book of Jonah. G'day, guys. If, you, if you've been coming to church for any length of time, if you grew up in the church, Jonah's one of those wonderful Sunday school stories. Uh, we teach uh, the story of Jonah to our scripture kids. It's one of those stories that has shaped Western culture, even if you had nothing to do with the church. Many people know the story of Jonah, but we, it, its usefulness as a children's story, its usefulness as a Sunday school story doesn't mean that it, it sometimes loses its, its, its impact because we dismiss it as just a kid's story, but nothing could be further from the truth. This is a really impactful story. This is a rough story. It's got some rugged parts to it. This is a deep dive into the scandalous nature of God's grace, of God's love, and of God's forgiveness, even for the most recalcitrant of of sinners. This is an incredibly prophetic book. This book uh, points to Jesus very, very clearly. Indeed, Jesus himself identifies with Jonah. Jesus actually names Jonah. Jesus quotes a lot of these Old Testament prophets. He only names, I think, about three or four of them. And he actually identifies himself with Jonah. He points to Jonah. This is a sign that that, that points to me. He said, the sign of Jonah is is a symbol of my own coming death before I be resurrected. So Jesus very clearly says the story of Jonah points, points to me. Indeed, there are other similarities between Jonah and Jesus himself. Jonah came from up north in what would later become Galilee, up near Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. That makes him a fairly unique character in that he was a prophet in what was the northern kingdom. If you know your your history of Israel, you know the kingdom splits into two after the reign of King Solomon. Uh, and, and, and the northern kingdom, well, they have a series of bad kings. Things go from bad to worse and, and worse. and Jonah is one of the prophets called to speak God's truth, God's hard truth from that northern ten tribes. But he is fairly unique in that he's not even really called to his own people. He's called to preach to a pagan people. He's called to preach to a foreign land, to a, a, a foreign country. So, so Jonah is, is really quite unique in, in that sense. He's called to preach to a foreign city, to get out of his, out of his, his comfort zone. Uh, he's gone to preach to the biggest, baddest, nastiest, meanest, cruelest city of them all, Nineveh. Now this takes place, what you're about to read takes place about 750 BC. So Jonah is a prophet. Right, a person raised up by God to speak God's truth into a particular setting 750 years before Christ. Uh, at this time, the Assyrians are the dominant world power. The Assyrians are in the ascendancy and Nineveh is their capital and it is to this city that Jonah is called to go. In only a few decades' time, uh, the Assyrians will actually conquer those northern ten tribes, those northern ten tribes of Israel God will allow to be conquered due to their unfaithfulness. 722 BC, they're basically wiped off the face of the earth by these Assyrians, never to be seen again. There was a remnant that came to be known as the Samaritans later on in in Jesus' time. But basically, the Assyrians wiped those northern ten tribes of the original twelve off the face of the map. So this is a, a story... Of, of, of a man called to, to a really difficult calling, to a, to a really scary calling. 
Nineveh was the capital of the empire, a huge city. No army could hope to conquer it. No army could even hope to surround it, to, to, to besiege it. But the wisdom, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and God has other plans. God takes the city. God ends up taking the city, conquering the city through but one man, one foolish man, one scared man, one angry man, one very silly, stupid man, a coward. God uses this one man. He besieges this one man, besieges a city and takes it, transforms it. He uses this one foolish, flawed man to bring about revival in the biggest, baddest city of all. Now, you kind of know the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing tonight, but you kind of today, but you know the story. I think most of us know the story. If you don't, here is a quick recap. Uh, Jonah is, is called by God to go and, and to, preach, to preach to Nineveh. It's only four chapters long. Go and have a read of it in your own time tonight. But basically, by this stage, we're going to pick it up in chapter three. God has already called Jonah once. He's already called Jonah and said, go to Nineveh, preach to it. What does Jonah do? What does he, well, you tell me, what does he do? He flees. He runs, not just, he, he doesn't just not obey, he flees in the opposite direction, runs in the polar opposite direction. He's in Israel, called to head east, he heads due west. He couldn't have been, couldn't have been more disobedient if he tried. He jumps on a boat to Tarshish. We know, well, we don't actually know where Tarshish is. Uh, Tarshish is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. We don't exactly know the site of the city. We do know that it was somewhere, a port on the Med, somewhere on the Mediterranean. Possibly modern-day Tunisia, possibly modern-day Sardinia, possibly as far away as Spain. He's trying to get away from God like a fool. Uh, God, of course, uh, has other ideas. Uh, storm comes up, the boat that he's in is, is, is in great peril, he's chucked overboard, God provides a giant fish to swallow him up, he, he's in the belly of this fish for three days, now you thought you had a bad week, he's in the internal digestive tract of a giant fish, in the fish he repents, by this stage Jonah comes to his senses, realises what a fool he has been and he repents. God hears his prayer, this is chapter 2, he hears his prayer and God commands the fish to literally vomit him up onto the beach. That's where we pick up our reading. Jonah, disobedient, foolish, in the belly of a fish, spat up on a beach and that is where uh, we pick up our reading from this morning. But be on the lookout, we're going to learn a lot of things from this story of Jonah. We're going to learn that God is God wherever you go. You can't flee from God. There is nowhere you can escape from God. That God is able to use even the most reluctant of people, even the most flawed of people, stupid people, disobedient people for his good ends to achieve miraculous things. Even the unlikeliest of people and cultures can and do repent. Praise God. And when they do repent, God is gracious. God is loving. God loves even the worst of sinners. God is gracious. Let's pick up the story at the start of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. 
Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with his, and, and his compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Church, let's pray. Loving Lord, come to us now. Please use these simple words as a vehicle for your word. Help us hear your voice and to distill your will for us in these words of Scripture. Lord, we long for your wisdom. Come now and teach us, we pray. Amen. What you need to know about the Assyrians is that they were very cruel people, a very cruel and bloodthirsty people. This was a mighty empire. And Nineveh was the greatest city the world had ever seen, their capital. They devoted most of their time and energy to warfare, to conquering other nations. That was what they did. It was in their DNA. It was who they were. We know on top of all of that, they were particularly bloodthirsty and cruel to their victims. We know this because they celebrated themselves. You can still to this day go and see the stone carvings or the frescoes. I was actually going to show you, but they're actually a little bit bloodthirsty. They would skin their victims alive. They would chop off hands and pull tongues out. They would impale them on poles. This was a cruel, cruel, sadistic people. Uh, It's not only Jonah that talks about the sins of Nineveh, the prophet Nahum, another one of the minor prophets you'll find towards the back of your End Testament tucked away there with Jonah. The prophet Nahum also talks about the the horrors of of Nineveh. He actually writes, uh, Who has ever escaped your endless cruelty? Who has ever escaped your endless cruelty? Now, friends, the first thing I want us to know is that we shouldn't be surprised 
at any of this because this is the base state of man. Without God, this is actually where humanity ends up. Particularly in the case of a pagan, uh, a godless polytheistic world like the ancient Ninevites or the ancient Greeks. Many of those ancient cultures believed in polytheism or many gods. And if you know anything, for example, about the, the Greek pantheon of gods, these gods were not particularly likable characters. These were flawed gods. These were people who played with people's lives. They were often fired and, and in conflict. They were out for themselves. So if you believe in a world that is ruled by these gods who act like that, then you come to believe, well, this is how one should act. You believe that there is simply a case of this world exists for, for me, and if I can get away with whatever I want to get away with, including flaying people alive, then if it's going to bring me some macabre sense of pleasure, then why not? For there really is no right and, and wrong. It took the profound concept of monotheism, probably the most profound idea, notion in the history of man, that there is one God, that there is right and wrong, and from this God comes a sense of justice, an objective truth, objective justice. Some people think that God is sort of answerable to a higher sense of justice, that God has to submit to justice. It doesn't work like that. God is just. Justice and truth are part of God. He, those things are encapsulated in God. God doesn't answer to any other foreign concept or any superior concept of justice and truth. God is justice and truth. And if you do believe in a God who sets what right and wrong, you believe that he will one day put things to right, that we came from a place that the world was once at peace, in perfect harmony, and that we are indeed headed in that direction again, then and only then can you then give your life to pursuing that justice in the world. We shouldn't be surprised at the cruelty in the world we see around us. We shouldn't be surprised at the cruelty, the barbarism that has been coming through our TV screens in that part of the world, frankly, in recent months. This is mankind. Don't fool yourself. This is who we are. We are fallen and flawed. And still today, even in modern Australia, let's be honest, we are largely a part of a pagan culture Still today, we're blessed with this wonderful Christian heritage. We're still living off the capital, really, of our, our Christian heritage, but we are fast turning our back on it and heading once again into a, a godless sort of a, a culture. And if you believe that there is nothing in this world but blind, cosmic, godless evolution in this life, that we're just some random cosmic fluke, then, then really, who are you? I or you or anyone to say what is right or wrong, what is just or true. I'm just out for myself. Might makes right in that world. So I want us to be very much aware that this sort of immorality and, 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 and evil has been a constant throughout human history. It is only uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, belief in a God who actually sets what's right and wrong that gives people the impetus, a reason to say, no, I'm going to turn my back on that. I'm going to live for a higher calling than, than just, just for myself. Now, so the story, uh, the story comes that the great evil is happening and, and so God has had enough and so he calls his fellow Jonah. He calls Jonah to go. He says, go and preach to the great city of, of Nineveh. 
Now, cities are important. Cities have always been important in God's kingdom. In fact, the fact that uh, this is a church right smack bang in a global city like Sydney was one of the things that attracted me here to come and be amongst you. I, I love ministering with you and alongside you in reaching our city for Christ. A few of us were out, uh, out in the mall just before Christmas, Christmas in the mall, trying to connect, do whatever we can to proclaim the good news of Jesus to our city. Church in the Marketplace. What a great name, I thought. It was, you know, at the time, we were looking for a new calling, looking for, we felt God was calling us to, to move on. And we knew that this place called Church in the Marketplace was looking for a new minister. What a great name, amen. What a great name. Let's live up to our name. We are a church smack bang in the middle of a major international city. Since I've been here, the major international movies, culture being set in the cities, cultures have always, has always been set in the city. Cities tend to be places where creative types people, it's where reform is driven, it, it, is where, it is where new ideas flourish in the city. It's always been the case in God's kingdom that the gospel exploded throughout the empire and it took root in the cities by the year 300 AD, in just 300 years nearly half of the urban population throughout the Roman Empire were Christian. And we get the word pagan, as a matter of fact, from the Latin pagunus, which means the countryside. It was the cities that were key in driving the gospel forward. Friends, here at church in the marketplace, do you see yourself as being in a strategic location? I praise God for those that made this place here happen, the strategic placement of this church family in this place with the nations walking past our front door. God has given us an amazing opportunity, church, to preach the good news to the city. Let's get on it. Let's be very much aware that God has given us a huge calling here in the city of, of Sydney. He calls Jonah and he says, go. God always calls you in and he sends you out. He says to go. Go and preach to Nineveh. Of course, Jonah's none too impressed with this call. Uh, Jonah doesn't want a bar of it. The idea of going to this huge pagan capital city, this evil city, and telling them all they're a bunch of sinners, well, that's not his idea of a good time. Quite understandably, he's none too impressed with that. Uh, so, he, so he flees. And that's where we got to. In, in, in the story uh, today. What I want you to notice, however, is that the chapter and verses in your modern Bible are not there in the original Hebrew. There's no gap from when he's vomited up on the beach to when God's call comes a second time. There's no gap. God didn't say to Jonah, oh, well, you've been inside the, you know, the digestive tract of a fish for three days. Listen, why don't you go take a fortnight's stress leave? He didn't say, there's none of that. It's right. Have you gotten over yourself now, Jonah? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to do what I asked, Jonah? Straight away. There's no, go take, go take a break, go recuperate. No. He's vomited up on the beach and the word of the Lord comes again and says, go to Nineveh. Are you ready to heed my calling? I want us to remember, I want us to think, church, you don't, there's never going to be a perfect time to go. I think sometimes, myself included, think, look, I'll get to that when I have more time. I'll get to, I'm not saying there's not a time and a season to rest and to recuperate and to heal, 
But if you're waiting for the perfect moment to heed God's call on your life, let me tell you, friend, it's never going to happen. God doesn't call the well-rested. He doesn't call those with plenty of time. He doesn't just call those with the gift of the gab. He doesn't just call those with a theology degree. He doesn't just call those with the resource. He calls you. He simply calls you wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, vomited up on a beach to go and to be his person wherever you may find yourself. That's a bit of a challenge, I think, for us. Even in this really awkward, stinky situation, God still comes to Jonah and says, go. Uh, Jonah, to his credit, suitably humbled at this point, he does, he does indeed go. He goes and he preaches. And you know what? They repent. It's amazing. This is a miracle for the ages. We're not given a lot of the details. He simply goes into the city. You can imagine him wandering around for a, a bit. He says, firstly, he sort of wanders through. But then you can imagine him setting up his soapbox in the middle of the town square and calls them all to repentance. In 40 days, look out. God's going to smite you all. And by a miracle, it works. <laughs> This isn't a particularly good sermon from Jonah. It's the worst gospel presentation of all time. Nothing about God's love and grace. He simply calls them to repentance, and somehow this city repents. The king himself gets down off his throne, takes off his fancy robes, covers himself in sackcloth, sits down in the dust, and issues a decree that all people are going to fast and, and, to, and to repent. It's an amazing story. It is, an, it is absolutely an, an amazing accomplishment. This is a lesson for us, I think. This is an encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you. Even the worst of cultures can and do repent. Now, modern Aussie culture is not skinning people alive, but we need modern-day Jonas. Aussie Jonas needed. And you know what? Things seem as though they're hopeless. It can seem as though we're waiting in eternity for revival to come. But I reckon God's call will come. It is coming. I don't know when, but things can change very quickly. And cultures can and do repent. Revival can and does break out. Some of you might be familiar with the Welsh revivals of the early 1900s. Not that long ago. It's the century ago in Wales. They couldn't put rugby teams on the paddock, because, which is, for Wales is pretty significant. They were all too busy praying, going to church. Down in the coal mines, they were running Bible studies. The owners of the coal mines had to build new tool sheds because the workers that were so convicted of the thieving that had been done, taking home the tools, stealing the tools from the mines, brought them all back and handed them back. Revival can and does break out. This should be a, a word of hope to us, that even in our time, in our culture, God can and does God can and does work. Now, you would think that this would make Jonah very happy. You would think that Jonah would be ecstatic. This is something to tell the grandkids about. I was there. I was there when revival broke out in Nineveh. In Nineveh. God worked through me. Can you believe it, kids? You'd think this is the apex of his career. This is, this is a, an amazing story to tell. You'd think the book of Jonah would end at this point by saying, and Jonah returned to his homeland rejoicing, wouldn't you? None of that at all. What does Jonah think of all this? He's angry. 
Another little kick in the story, another little twist in the tail. Jonah isn't happy about this at all. Jonah was the reluctant prophet. You can imagine getting up there in his soapbox saying, you're all a bunch of sinners and God's going to smite you all and then hightailing it outside of the city. The book ends with him sitting outside of the city watching, waiting to see what God's going to do. Jonah is expecting some Sodom and Gomorrah action. He wants God to come and nuke this terrible bunch of sinners. He wants God to be angry. He wants God's justice to rain down. He wants salt, burning sulfur to rain down in the city. And then when God is gracious and compassionate on these evil people, Jonah is angry. He's sitting outside the city sulking. We might say in modern Aussie parlance, he's having a bit of a sook. If you haven't, if you're a parent, you'd say he's, he's a bit ploppy pants. He's, uh, he's having a bit of a sulk outside of the city, waiting for God to rain down justice and vengeance on the city. And, and he's angry. He says, I knew it, God. I knew you were... I, oh, I'm so angry with you, God. Come and... I can't believe you did this. I knew this had happened. But God is gracious even to Jonah. I want you to notice here that God pursues even Jonah. God in his grace is gracious towards the city of Nineveh and is gracious towards Jonah. He doesn't let Jonah go. He pursues Jonah. He chases after Jonah. Jonah, in his anger, is sitting out there pouting, sulking, and God still comes to him and God says to him, one of the most profound questions, I think, really in Scripture, maybe of all time, in chapter 4, verse 4, he actually says, do you really have a right to be angry, Jonah? Is it really up to you to be angry at who I choose to have compassion on? The very last verse of the book, if you read ahead, actually has God asking Jonah, shouldn't I be compassionate? Shouldn't I have compassion on the great city of Nineveh and the 120,000 people that live there? This is why cities are so important, because that's where the people are. And God loves people. He loves people. He wants the best for human beings. He wants the best for us. So God pursues Jonah. He doesn't let him off the hook. He really challenges Jonah. Fix your attitude, mate. Who are you to be judging? It's my place to judge. You've done your job. Thank you. No need to sit there and to sulk. This is another really uh, wonderful piece of learning, I think, another really key point from from the book of Jonah. God can use anyone. This fellow is angry. He's sulking. He's already been disobedient. He's already been extremely foolish, thinking that he can run from God. He delivers a terrible sermon, a terrible message. All that stuff about love and forgiveness, God, sorry, I didn't have time for that, so I left it out. He's a terrible preacher. He's horrible. He's nasty. He's disobedient, and he's stupid, thinking that he can run from God, yet God still pursues him. God still chases after him. Friend, God can use anyone. God can use anyone. I'm too scarred. I'm too wounded. Friend, God can use your scars and your wounds. God loves to use a a wounded healer. I remember a humbling moment in, in my life was when I spent a few days in hospital. I've been blessed with good health 
and uh, I was uh, barely still a really young man. I know I'm turning 50 tomorrow, but I was a young man at the time, and still maybe in, it was in my 30s, and over Easter of all times, would you believe, I was in ministry, and over Easter, just God just struck me down with pneumonia. I had no idea. I mean, I'd heard of pneumonia. I didn't think it would affect me. I've never been so crook in all my life. Carly dropped me off at the hospital. The GP said, Pete, you better get to hospital. And I could barely, I remember to this day, barely, I could barely walk into emergency. So my life just, I just I was, had no energy whatsoever. Had me in hospital, it was really humbling. My church had to go without their minister over Easter. It was really embarrassing, really humbling. I thought I was a young, fit, health, I'm a, picked a Mally bull, not so much. And God used that time, I think, because I can now identify with the people that I visit in hospital. I'd never been in hospital. I'd never been the other side of those hospital visits. And with apologies to the doctors and nurses that are here, it's, it's, it, wasn't a, it was a humbling time. After a couple of days, I felt much better. I was ready to go. They put some little thing on my finger that checked oxygen levels, yeah? You know, anyone had that little thing? 94% they said, and I thought, you beauty, let's go. I'm pulling out, Kay, let's go. No, no, that's not good enough, they said. Now, I'm the sort of person, if I get 94% of the test, I'm happy with that. They told me that wasn't good enough. Had to remain in this hospital ward for days. It was a very humbling experience. But God used that time to grow me, to teach me. God will use your wounds. He will humble you because it will make you, make you more usable. It will make you more useful to him. Also, I want us to see here that, that mission is risky, but it can be rewarding. Like Abraham before Jonah, God called Abraham, didn't he, to go and leave what he knew, leave his comfort, leave his comfort zone and to go to a new place, to, to a new city. It's challenging, it's, and it can, be, it can be scary. But can I encourage you to know that it's, it's life-giving. When we finally heed God's call and say yes to God, it's where we find true abundant life. It's where we find our, our true calling. It's actually liberty. Actually submitting to God's will in our life makes us free. My favorite hymn is a hymn called And Can It Be. Is anyone familiar with it? And Can It Be, a wonderful Wesleyan hymn. Uh, the second last stanza, beautiful uh, progression in the theology in these old hymns. It says, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Following your calling is freedom, friend. You will find meaning and purpose in your life. You will find freedom, even in those scary times, even when you're called to come out of your comfort zone. God can work through anyone, even the rogues. God has a long history of doing it. Abraham was a rogue. Abraham, if you know the story, was not a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination. His sons and grandsons, not much better. Isaac, Jacob was a rogue. His son sold their brothers Joseph into slavery. God has a habit of using fallen, flawed people to bring about salvation in the world. And even Jesus' disciples the one that was consistently putting his foot in it all the time, time and time again, was Peter. And who did Jesus put in charge of the infant church when he ascended back to heaven? Peter. God loves using broken, 
imperfect people like you and I to grow his kingdom. And don't we need some modern day Jonas here in Australia? God is desperately calling out for Jonas to go out and to be out in the marketplace, to go out and to call our nation to repentance. Modern Australia needs Jonas to call them back to God, back to their first love. We're not skinning people alive, beheading people, but Aussies need Jesus. We desperately are in need of Jesus. The rampant, selfish consumerism, rampant sin, sexual immorality, selfishness and greed, it's all out there on display. We need modern-day Jonas to come and call our nation back to God, back to, their, back to their first love. Can I encourage you in closing, if you feel as though you're not yet ready to be a Jonah, can I encourage you to know that you need to draw strength in, in knowing who you are in Christ. It's only possible to go out and to be a modern-day Jonah um, out in, in Sydney today if you're confident in who you are in Christ. You need to have the confidence to know that you don't have to be perfect. You need to know that you're a, a sinner, just like everyone else. Don't be that modern-day Jonah sitting out there sulking with his arms crossed being that modern-day religious stuck-up person, thinking he's better than the people that he's ministering to. Because, by the way, that's where Jonah was at that point, right? Jonah thinks he's better than those people. This is the phase of his life where he's like the modern-day stuck-up religious person. You know, the type, that, that very judgmental, condescending religious type of person that thinks, I know the truth, I live the truth, therefore I'm better than you. Kill that off as soon as you sense that rising up in your church. Let's kill that off and look to Jesus and know that we're a sinner saved by grace. Jonah, of course, tried to flee the city. And even when he, he got there, he was angry with it. Jesus, well, he left what was comfortable. He left what he knew and willingly went to the big city. He willingly went to Jerusalem, knowing that it would indeed kill him. And what did he do? He, he wept over it didn't get angry, he wept over it, he wept for it. He wept, oh, Jerusalem. They're driving nails into his hands, he's praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus left his comfort zone in perfect union with his heavenly Father and with the Spirit to come and be a missionary here on earth. Jesus is our ultimate example of being a cross-cultural uh, missionary to a, a culture that does not know him. Jesus went into the city and indeed died in our place. He didn't avoid evil. He didn't say, it's not for me. He didn't try to say, well, I'm just going to let it be, because that is an option that so many of us think is easier. But is avoiding evil really any better? All you're really doing is leaving it for someone else to deal with. Jesus tackled evil head on, and he took it into himself. He paid the price for all of my evil, dealt with it once and for all, washed me clean, made me acceptable to God once more, reconciled me back to my heavenly Father. Praise God. The book of Jonah ends with the words, well, our, 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 our reading started with these wonderful words, that the word of the Lord came a second time. Well, it's come a thousand times since then, and it's going to come again in our time, in our city. Can you hear God's call? 
Do you hear God's word rising up once again in our day and our city? God's word will come again. Do you hear it, church? Let's pray. Our loving Lord, we pray for your help because we need your help in reaching our city. We seek to be modern-day Jonas. Help us to be Jonas, though we are sometimes reluctant, though we are at times angry, sulking, flawed, imperfect with our words. Help us to nevertheless be obedient to your call and to go. Help us to hear your call upon our lives as individuals and indeed as a church family to reach our city for Christ, proclaiming the abundant life that he brings. Here we are, Lord. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name. All the people said.